And the only A I got of that was on computers. <laughs> Back when they like, taught computers. Yeah. <laughs> Not everyone's just sort of like, you're just born with one now. And yeah, I think, exactly. Yeah. You don't, they don't teach it because they're born with them in their hands. <laughs> and, uh, and I did, I really wanted to be a journalist at that then. Then as I got, and also along with wanting to be an actor, but I knew, I knew then I heard, like growing up in the indigenous arts field, my mother was an actor. Yes. She was involved in the arts, indigenous arts scene here in Toronto. And just seeing growing up with that, so of course that influenced you and wanting and, and being in drama with you and yeah. high school and all that. And, but I, then as I got older, I realized that wasn't a viable solution for myself because I knew being indigenous, there's not much casting opportunities or opportunities for you as an indigenous actor. Yeah, it's, it's weird that I knew that back then. You were aware of that, that there's just so, only so many roles and you watched your mom, right? Like, like fight yeah. to get those roles, right? Yeah, she did and she got the roles like, but she got, she, luckily she was able to get some commercial stuff and she got some stuff on TV, but she was always like the native woman and yep. dressed up in traditional, well, considered traditional attire the white producers version of what <laughs> yeah traditional exactly. looks like and and all of this growing up within the arts field and that and my journey of sort of constantly being told like i wanted to go when we were in high school i wanted to go to university like i knew that's what i wanted to do but i was being told your grades aren't good enough it's not that's just not a place for you you're not going to be you never make it and so i listened to them even though i graduated even though I graduated high school, I, I applied for college and I went to college in Cambria at in Sudbury, Cambrian. Oh wow! And then actually now I hear that the this the journalism course is not even offered anymore. Oh wow! Because <laughs> so this was a long time. Very, ago. Yes, exactly. Quite a prestigious <laughs> program. It no longer exists. Yeah, <laughs> and I remember seeing Indigenous people in Native Studies, which it was called back then. Right. At that time and. I remember thinking, I'm like, all the time, I was like, I'm native. What can they, what could they teach me about being native? Like, what do they know? So like, I totally avoided it and did everything that I think that I could possibly help me. Then I ended up dropping out of college and, and just make, constantly making these various shifts and changes in my life to sort of like, no, that's not what I want to do with it. Making these quick changes and just dropping out of college and going moving back home here in Toronto and then just starting in admin and I did admin for about five years yeah. then working into the indigenous arts and uh, not arts community the, just the indigenous social service community kept working in there I worked in the courts I worked in um, the legal indigenous legal field and when I initially wanted to go back and my boss at the time, she was saying, you should go back to school. You should go back to school, become a lawyer. And I was like, yeah, okay. Cause I really enjoyed being in front of the adjudicators yeah. sitting up for like my people, like one of my friends, my old coworkers and friends were still friends. She says that every time she goes into the cells, she's always there saying, let my people go. Kind of thing, right? <laughs> yeah. So that's like, you're sort of, you're in there and you're advocating for like literally for your community members like like yeah. you setting up beds for them you make sure that they have a job what do you want to do and you put that in plan and putting that to the judge and and i've and i realized that that's what i wanted to do i wanted to work with my community and it was just one day especially after having my son in 2006 
and I was like in a job that was like literally I went in I applied for a management position and I was called into the manager's office or the the director's office sure and she sat me down and she said um actually I really want to give this job to you I know you can do it but you just don't have the qualifications you don't have the degree okay and I was like oh but you just said I had the qualifications. You said that I could do this job. So what's right. the difference? And so then I go, well, then I'll get that degree. <laughs> right. So. so how, if you don't mind me asking, mm -hmm. how old are you? Oh, first of all, let me go back. I just wanted, <laughs> I wanted to come, I just wanted to come, come in on one thing, you yeah. know, you being in high school and being told that you don't have the marks to get into. Now, this is back when, I don't know if, if you're listening to Bob's basement podcast, you're probably old enough to remember that back when we still had grade 13s, we had OACs in, in Ontario. And then on top of that, we had uh, three different streams. They didn't call them streams then, but you had three different levels. You could have advanced general or basic, like just the worst, right? Like, or just, Hey, you know what? And here's the thing. Somebody along the way in grade eight, recommended that you either went into advanced general or basic and that's usually the stream you stayed in and if you if you started in general you were automatically at grade eight at how, however old you are there you are denied the opportunity essentially to go to university because you're in general and not in advance and i don't know if that was the situation with you i just always find that it's amazing that that at that young age it can make that big a difference you could work but you have to work your ass off and, and and redo a whole bunch of things to go get advanced credits so you could actually apply for university and not just college mm -hmm. so I, yeah i mean i just i don't know if that was your situation but you, your situation up until this point not not all that different from anybody else you know you you're kind of floating around trying to figure out what to do you know you're a young person trying to figure out you know what you want to do who before we get into uh you know what drove you into uh get going back to school that obviously that job that director saying i want to give you this job but you don't have the piece of paper who was there somebody in the as you said in the indigenous community was there somebody in your community that 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 helped you get into those jobs where you were working and you were, you were working in the legal field. And like, was there, was there, what, what led to that change from just like an, an admin job into something that was about your community and, and kind of what you were passionate about? It was one, I don't know if I can name names. Oh, you, it's up to, you don't have to. <laughs> well, the, well, there's just one boss that I had yeah. when I was with you for, there's a place called here, Aboriginal Legal Services. Yeah. Here. I think they, they're named something else now, but back in then, my the director at the time she, the director pulled me to a, i was a receptionist there she pulled yeah. me to her office another pulled it i'm like i'm getting pulled to the office again but this was a different conversation she yeah. sort of said there's this position opening up for a tenant rights advocate and i think this would be a good job for you to sort of gain new skills and she's like you should wow. apply for it i'm like like i have no experience in legal. going in front of adjudicators or legal or anything she goes i goes i honestly think you could do this job you should apply for it isn't that great so then i applied for that job and that was the start of like i did the tenant right advocate uh, advocacy so like going in front of adjudicators like that was my job was to go and fight for all these people who are potentially getting evicted specifically indigenous people right. from their apartments and me like I was really good at that job too. <laughs> like I was, it was good at advocating to say like, like why are you not? Remember this one specific one. This landlord was like so adamant on getting this tenant out, and it was through the community housing. And they were just had all these lists of all these things, and I was going through all their notes, and I'm like, 
all of it said was just Indian woman, this Indian woman. I'm like, so I'm in front of the adjudicator, I'm like, well, everything here says just pointing out her ethnicity, identifying her as indigenous. And I'm gonna go, is it the fact that that she's indigenous you want her outside of the building or is it something completely different? And then after that, I brought that up, it shifted the whole thing. They're like, all right, she can stay. We're going to move her. Wow. The, only, the only thing was the reason why, because she had this one problem. My client had a problem with a neighbor and the neighbor was just hounding her, hounding her. And Classic. she's like, I just can't, I just can't live here. She's like, she's hounding me all the time. And they tried to make it like it was her problem. And I was like, it's obviously because she's indigenous. Like, why are you trying to kick her? And then he ended up moving her. And it was just success and she to keep her housing. And that's where I sort of knew like, okay, yeah, I'm, I'm good at doing this. I'm good at fighting for my people. And or even those who not necessarily those who don't know how to do it. Well, yeah, basically, yes. Those who don't know the how to need navigate them. Sure. Yeah. sure. And that's, you know, uh, it's a noble way to make a living, and but it's not easy. And then you come up against, there are still people, uh, you've talked a lot about on, on your Twitter account, um, which I will put out when we do this, but your Twitter account is very active uh, regarding Indigenous rights and, uh, and different, uh, different um, uh, social issues. But uh, specifically, you, 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 you made a thing about, uh, you made a tweet about um, now that you're in the academic world and how academia, has, uh, higher up academia seems to have some forgotten a little bit about where they've come from. And uh, it, it's, so it, it's interesting that you're, you're fighting that battle now in the academia world. Mm -hmm. So you end up, so I, I interrupted there. I apologize. You end up, you go, you see, so you get turned down for this job and that's you, that gives you that, that's where that change comes from. You're like, you know what? I want that job or I want a job like that. And you go back to school. How old are you at that time? I was 32. 32, and you're going for your undergrad? Yes. So 32 years old with a bunch of 18-year-olds. Yeah. How was that change? <laughs> it was a definitely, uh, it was it was different. Yeah. Like my, my, my step into university was through a, through a bridging program. Okay. Which is called the Transitional transitional year program at university of toronto yes. and it's through i think it now it's through woodward's woodsworth college i did yeah. it i yeah. did it when i was like 22 yeah. right, right around when i started the humble and fred show i was going to u of t part-time through woodsworth college i did the pre-u course so i i know a it wasn't the transitional course but it was very similar and i got a bursary because i was from ontario housing because i grew i grew up in housing and i was lucky enough to get in there and it was you know i don't know a couple thousand bucks and they that it was i, I was working full-time and I was able to, I was living at home, but I was able to get some, some support, which was nice. And, uh, I, I went for a little bit and I ended up falling into radio, which is a whole other thing, but I know Woodsworth college. And so you do the transitional program. So you are going, what's your undergrad? What is your, what's your degree in? I did mine in humanities, but okay. when I first started, I did it in, cause I wanted, I was thinking I was going to go to the, to the law. Right, yeah feel right so i did the whole philosophy yeah. political science thing for the first two years didn't do well same thing i was in undergrad like i saw that aboriginal studies at that time see it was from native studies to aboriginal studies so now we're in aboriginal studies <laughs> and, and we're talking about the now we're talking about the change of the name of what, <laughs> of what you know your people was you know everybody, everybody was here first what you what, what what we call you but <laughs> Go ahead. So, so now, you're, so at this point, you're Aboriginal. Okay, go ahead. Yeah, so it's Aboriginal studies now, and same thing too. And I'm like, 
what are they going to teach me? I'm not going to take this here. And it wasn't until my end of my second year that I took the intro course. Okay. Because I had, I had, had to fill up these yeah, you credits. Need these credits. So sure. Kind of, Go ahead. So, teach me about me. Go yeah. ahead. It'll be an easy course. Well, it was interesting because I took a course. It was a summer course and it literally changed the whole trajectory of wow. my education from that, from that summer. Because after that, it's been like, I specialize in Indigenous studies from that time on. And that intro course was actually taught by a non-Indigenous person. But this person was actually very influential in making my decisions. So wow. that's good. But not, but not only as like how they pushed me and they, they encouraged me in, my, in, in navigating the, my Indigenous self at that time. They also encouraged me because they're non-Indigenous. I'm like, an Indigenous person should be teaching this course. Yeah. Well, isn't that so, amazing that that inspired you? Yeah. Can I ask you what yeah. that what that means, how, how to navigate your Indigenous self? What what, what what kind of change did that mean? Because, like, I, my, again, I'll, I'll go back to my our, my friendship with you is you were always just Jen to me. You weren't, you were, we were just, we we're, we're very close friends. We didn't really talk about, I know you would go up to, at the time it was called Christian Island, ironically, right? You would, you would go up, but I, there's a whole, then that's where the, the reserve is that your family goes to, right? Is that yeah. and the irony of it being called Christian Island and it being a reserve is just ridiculous. <laughs> um, but, uh, but I remember you going there quite, quite often, but we didn't really discuss your, your indigenous heritage. What did that mean when that, when that person who, the non-indigenous professor who pushed you this way, what did, what did that look like? What change did that bring to you like internally or externally? Just reading the course material and seeing myself reflected in the material. Cause like uh, prior to that, I was reading philosophy yeah. philosophers from back in like Socrates. Old, <laughs> and you're like I don't connect with this but I'm like I was supposed to understand it but my brain wasn't wrapping around the whole philosophy of ancient philosophy and I was like yeah. but when I went into indigenous studies it was sort of like you're sort of like like it clarified like, yeah like clear as the next clear as day wow. and I was like it totally I'm like this is me and then reading it and I'm like I was and a lot of it was like when we were reading a lot of the material was seeing they talked about Ipperwash I'm like oh I'm actually actually helped with Ipperwash inquiry and seeing oh they talked about the 60s group I'm like uh, actually I'm a daughter of a survivor of 60s group you know this right. is like this lot of that personal personalization within yeah. the course material and I think that's a lot that helps a lot with a lot of people to sort of succeed if they sort of have that that um familiarity or that that connection absolutely yeah i could see yeah you're, you're reading the stories you're reading a and it's interesting you're reading a, an academic take on the things that you you know people who experience firsthand or you experienced firsthand yeah and that resonated with you and so that one summer and that one teacher changed changed your whole trajectory and here you are now going for your doctorate yeah. do, you still, do you still talk to that teacher I don't. I actually recently uh, reached out to them and sent an email, and I haven't got back. So I don't know. <laughs> like, but I, but I only thing I could think is that everyone's busy. Everyone's sorry, but and um, I've been very advocating. Like as you see on my on my Twitter, a big loud voice in regards to Indigenous representation, the the need for Indigenous people to be teaching these courses and leading these courses. Or, and sort of in these jobs that are meant for indigenous people. 
and which is and, what you've been doing now, right? Like the last little while, you're actually like an, essentially an EA. Is that what you would call it? like an, a, or a, a TA is what they would call it? Like you've been working as a, a teaching assistant at U of T while you're going for your for your doctorate. Yes. Last year was my first year. Prior to last year, I've been trying to getting a, getting a TA ship for like since my master's started. And then when I finally got one last year, I was like, yes. And then like just sort of being with students, being that person to sort of help non-Indigenous or international students that come to study at the university, understanding what indigeneity is or whose land this is and why it's important that they need to know it. And that's and that was just such a gift for me as an indigenous or aspiring educator to be given that opportunity to share the knowledge I possess or sharing the true knowledge of the territory with the people. I had um, an indigenous artist on uh, by the name of Julian Taylor. I don't know if you know Julian. Oh yeah, yeah. Julian is he's uh, he 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 says and he he goes he's not apologizing for it. He calls himself a Black Indian because he's half Caribbean, half Indigenous, and uh, he talks about um, growing up and feeling ashamed of who he was and his friend and, and he he didn't really blame his friends or anything. He just said it was his own internalized shame. You have a son now, and uh, I feel that you. Um, and your sister has a couple sons as well. And, and I, I, thanks to social media, I see, um, how, do, how do you think their feelings about being indigenous are different than what your feelings were growing up? That's completely, like my feeling growing up sort of aligns with Julian's too. Yeah. Like I was ashamed of, but I didn't share or, or more like people thought I was something else. Like you're Filipino yeah. or you're Spanish. I'm like, well, no, I'm indigenous of Terra. And they're like, what do you mean indigenous? Well, I didn't say indigenous back then, but I was like, I was, I'm native, I'm Indian, I'm native, from here. Right, yeah. yeah. And yeah, the, I had that same that same shame. Yeah. It wasn't until I got older. And more importantly, after I had my son or even my nephews, like with the birth of my nephews, like how important it was to be like, put them in ribbon shirts. We didn't grow up with that. We're putting in ribbon shirts or growing up ceremonies and having like, naming ceremonies for our sons like we didn't even I, I got my I got my spirit name when I was 20 in my early 20s do you think your parents it was out of pressure you know like like that they they were trying to quote assimilate you know uh do you like because you're used to, you're, you know, unfortunately your mom passed away you're still very close with your dad um like I, I I can't ever see you blaming them for any of for any of this, but society is is changing, right? It was back in the '80s when we were kids; those things just weren't done, right? Mm -hmm. Like, like I, I feel like your your parents were just going with the flow. Yeah, and I think a lot of it. My parents actually were very big on us, like be proud of who you are. Like okay. they brought us out to protest. They brought us out to see indigenous artists, indigenous films, and brought us to powwows and like so many things like my parents were involved in the indigenous community here right. in toronto yeah. but it was just me my influence in schools right okay and like being with this being like possibly who i thought i was the only indigenous student at that time not i think other than my siblings <laughs> like say in elementary school yeah. and then but then again growing up and i'm like you find out later like oh there actually were other indigenous students because they were doing the same thing they were saying 
I'm not indigenous. They were just sort of staying in the background. We didn't know like, oh, you're native. I didn't know that, you know, right. talking to them afterwards. Wow. So that actually happened? Like there were kids that, you know, you went to school with that, that you found out afterwards, you guys were both kind of just keeping it on the down low as it were. Yeah. Yeah. So you're now, um, so you go from, so, so you're raising your son in Toronto um, mm-hmm. and, uh, and, and, and being uh, a, a very, very, an advocate for the indigenous community, an advocate for very specific parts of the indigenous community working on that and then, and going through, through school. What are the biggest what do you, what are the biggest changes you've seen? I mean, we'll, we'll, we can touch on some of the really horrible things. Uh, I, I would be remiss if we didn't some of the things that have come out lately, but uh, you know, we, um, we had the, the, the truth and reconciliation uh, report a few years ago and um, the, it seemed, look, uh, it seemed like we were on the right path towards some sort of, something that's it's never going to be right it's never you know what what's happened over the hundreds and hundreds of years is 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 irreparable but when that happened and where we are now what what's your take on that change has there there obviously hasn't been enough but are are there any good signs that that you see or is it really are we back to square one how what are you feeling these days um big question i know i know i'm not maybe i should have you should have i should have asked you to ask yourself because you're the journalist student (laughs) i don't know it's a big i think the way i see it it's been a lot of stop and goes yeah like so the report came out the trc final report came out in 2015 right in june 2015 and that's i was actually that's the same summer that i was in my first indigenous studies course oh wow wow and so it lined up with that we actually watched them yeah the report in class like he brought it up we watched it in class and i remember um watching that and then knowing that that it was going to be different from then on knowing that right what it means to be yeah. it is going to be different and there's a very there have been like big significant steps in regards to like the government making these steps, but they've been little steps. Nothing significant has happened yet. And we had like the one person that sort of, um, who sort of pushed the non-Indigenous allyship, which was Gord Downey. Right. But like, like he did, he did what he could prior to um, his unfortunate passing, Mm -hmm. but he, he brought a big light to it. And, and I feel like that was like, it sort of went, then, after his passing, I started to feel like it's just gone. Right, fell, right, fell right back down. So yeah, yeah. And I, that that's just my own personal perspective. I, yeah. And I feel that, and I feel it's been very stop and go. Yeah. So like it's been like baby steps, baby steps, and 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 I feel like we're in this. We're now six years since it's been released. Yeah. That now we're in this. I use and when I when I write my papers and when I write is we're in this post TRC era. Okay. So you know it's been like six years since then you know people still think we're in reconciliation i'm like no we're in this post reconciliation era the trc right and so now what are we going to do so now it's now it's a matter of us advocating to sort of say okay all of this you've all said that you're going to adopt these and every in, a, a, academic institution has adopted a their own trc report in their institutions i know u of t has one and i know uh, Ryerson, all the local universities here in Toronto have one. It's just a matter of them um, following through. And I think that needs to be the same with 
everything in regards to corporate and and it not just be tokenism it needs to be actual action in regards to listening to indigenous people because we, we already know what the calls are we already know what you guys say that you you've made a commitment to now it's a matter of in this post here here now it's a matter of actually putting it all in action and making those actual changes and it's not with just land acknowledgements <laughs> right well so yeah when you and i have talked about that like a land acknowledgement is you know, could be viewed upon as tokenism for sure, right? Like it's just, it is the absolute bare minimum of what somebody could do. Well, the bare minimum is nothing. The next step after that is saying, oh, by the way, yeah, we know this is yours. And, yeah. and we acknowledge how great you are, but that's it. You know, like, and I don't mean to make light of it, but you, we've talked about that. Mm -hmm. um, and then, uh, and I, I won't, I don't want to dwell on this because I do want to get back to talking about how great we were as children. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, uh, the, obviously all these discoveries, uh, within the residential schools and the unmarked graves um and uh like where does that fall in under the truth part of the truth and reconciliation you know like it's just it's uh, i mean it, it's not you can't even put it into words what, what what's being found but when i hear you say you know the 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 you know the the the, the what's the letter to use the tr the, the trl no the the, TRC, TRC, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I think about that T a lot. The truth, right? Mm -hmm. Like, the, and the reconciliation, because the rec I'll be honest, like the reconciliation part is hard, right? Like, it is hard to figure. How do we reconcile the all of these horrible actions? Like, that is a huge, huge thing. I'm still hung up on the truth part, especially when news that keeps coming out the way it does about mm -hmm. the Catholic Church and the and the uh, and the uh, Canadian government and the things that were that were said. Um, as a student as uh as a human being as an indigenous person uh what are the conversations in your world like about all this um just i just want to comment on what you said in regards to the truth like the in the reconciliation i find like with all these truths like that's why that's the stop and go yeah. the yeah. amount of truths that are constant that are now coming out in regards right. to what people were like these survivors who spoke at the at these at these commission yeah. sessions sort of said like they told they said this back then and nothing was done they were searching for bodies then after when the commission was going on because but they told they, them they were there during yeah. the mission, and it took till now six years later they're actually finding them yeah interesting yeah. and so 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 it's these truths that constantly coming up that keep re 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 changing or the trajectory right of reconciliation right so there's many truths that come out reconciliation is going to change so we have to, to sort of yeah. we have to go back to the drawing board and say okay now another truth came out that people that our people that indigenous people have been saying for it's generations now, exactly <laughs> wow so so reconciliation is it's a constant change and, and who knows yeah you just froze on me here it's a great freeze i should take a picture of it i don't know if you can hear me or not but it's a really so before we were interrupted uh, by the internet um, or the lack thereof, we were discussing how the the truth keeps changing, although it's been the truth all along for the indigenous people of Canada, they've known. And uh, as these things come out, so that changes what reconciliation reconciliation looks like. And uh, again, as I said earlier, I don't, we, I don't think we need to dwell, I think uh, on it. Um, obviously it's very important, but you know, the, the point of this podcast is to talk about change. Um, but the change of these horrible numbers coming out from the residential schools of the uh 
of the of the unmarked graves and whatnot. And I was asking you how that's being discussed within your world personally, within the academic world, within the indigenous communities. Uh, b- besides the unfortunate truth of it of you saying we know we told you back that this was all there where 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 is this all headed um i think a lot of the what a lot of the communities those who are close to me are basically just looking for reparations in regards to and not just apologies right so when you say reparations (laughs) we talk like like actual cash or land or things that make up for things not just not just hey we're sorry not just tears not just all that but actually like look all right it's time to actually you know obviously there's no amount of money or physical things that can make up for what's happened however if we want to break the cycle of what's happened to our community we need we need we need this if you want if you actually want to help and you actually want to um make uh, make things better reparations is the, is the is the route to go yes because a lot of there's a lot of people there advocates saying land back and it's not just a hashtag right land back is not just a hashtag it's literally a desire not a desire like a need <laughs> a yeah. want yeah in regards to it and it doesn't mean yes it could mean physical actual soil and earth but it means space as well in regards to starting indigenous focus um support groups for survivors we're all survivors like all of us indigenous people are survivors i'm a survivor because i'm a survivor in regards to my father who was a 60 scoops survivor (laughs) like he was a victim of the 60 scoop where he was removed from and so and like there are just so many barriers in regards to getting reparations because especially i'm going to speak specifically within regards to my especially my dad's with the 60 scoops he applied for the the part of the class action and he was denied because like we can't find proof and like my like where my dad like literally named his foster parents where he lived Wow. exactly the lack location where the house was wow and and they said back oh that's not enough proof i'm like well what do you want proof of like they need to have like they're asking for like <laughs> yeah, do you want video yeah. of your people coming grabbing my right. dad and my aunts and uncles from the yeah. home you know like and, and, he, this, uh, and this, so are you still fighting that that fight right now yeah, yeah. like we, we have to appeal it right. but that's just like we, we shouldn't like there's, there's like it it's just it's daunting to have to always go through these hoops yeah. you have to jump through in order to get these attended reparations and and they're like we don't want hoops anymore right well <laughs> and, and am i personally speaking no of course no absolutely i mean you know and that's where when you see those tweets or you read those articles when you see the liberal government has spent x amount of millions of dollars trying to keep this money from going to uh, the people, the victims, as it were, and, and you don't really know that it's talking to you that puts a face to the story that actually here, look, this is actually happening. Your dad was part of the 60 scoop. He's not trying to rip anybody off, but his life was it was eternally changed because of something the government did. And he and he was told he has the right to something in return in exchange for what he went through as an as reparations, as an apology, if you will. And he's not yeah. and he's not being given that. 
No. And that's and that's that, that that side that stupid white people like me don't ever get to see. We don't know those stories, right? We we yeah. we only read what we read in the papers. It, or nobody reads the papers. What they see, only what we read online, right? Yeah. And with oh, I was kind of going to add to that. Like my dad, he it's uh, with him. They, we we were one time one day we were talking, and he brought up how he spent most of his life off reserve than he has on reserve Yep. because he was taken when he was nine and he was in foster care for three years wow. he says so then by the time he came back and then he, he was a young parent yeah he became a young parent at 17 and him and my mom left the reserve when they were 18 17 18 and that was he's been in the city ever since right yeah so but, but those three years that he could have been at home on his community, that's three years he'd lost. He lost. Because that was a choice of him to leave when he was a youth, but his choice to leave uh, prior to that, when he was nine years old, wasn't his choice. Right. They literally came and grabbed him when my parent, my grandparents weren't there and put him in foster care. And then that's the thing, I don't understand why people don't understand that, 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 that the harm that does to take, and everyone's talking about the, how the 60s group isn't, still going on is but it's called the millennium scoop because the amount of indigenous children that are in care with the foster with the foster system and child welfare right too so it's it's still continuing it's, it's nothing new it's still going on well it, we've had this conversation before and it's uh the systemic issues obviously are so massive it's it's difficult to kind of wrap your head about how we how we fix those systemic issues in that like you know okay so this you you talk about all the kids the indigenous kids that are in in foster care in in the in the uh child welfare system now and so there are people out there and i'm just gonna be one i'll I'll be one of those those assholes out there just for a second to say well you know if their parents were any good they'd be they'd still be with their parents right you know you'd hear that and then so the answer to that so so I go back and I think about something that you've said to me or I've seen you tweet about. And, and this is where the systemic issues come from. Yeah, maybe maybe their parents weren't that great, but maybe there's reasons why they weren't that great because there's so many barriers set up to becoming, quote unquote, you know, uh, a part of society. You know what I mean? Like you know, with a job and whatnot. You, I remember you telling me or reading tweets about you to this day that you go shopping and you get followed by security. Mm-hmm. Uh, because people are worried that you're going to shoplift because you are an indigenous woman. Yes. Like that's, that's legit. You're not making that up. No. <laughs> and that's what I think. And I think where a lot of people sort of, when they read that, they're like, no, that doesn't happen to her. And my friend, a friend of mine, close to mine, she's like, she's always there to sort of say like, I've been there. I witnessed it with her, like her being like a sort of a light skin right. passing indigenous person. And it's like, I witnessed it. Like one time we were shopping at Ikea and I bought myself, like I legit just bought it. It was in the bag and she was just checking out. And then somebody came by a manager and walked by and she's like, can I look in your bag? And I was wow. like, why? And she's like, I just need to look at your bag. And then my friend Jenny came in. She's like, why are you looking at her bag? Like she just like, just legit just bought it. Like, why are you targeting her? And she made this whole kapapa and the manager came and she's like, she like literally racial profiled my friend in front of me. And she's witnessed it at shoppers and right. it's like and being ignored at the grocery store when I just want to buy a birthday cake for my son at 
like a law of laws yeah. and everyone else is getting served and i'm sitting there saying uh okay maybe i'll go somewhere else get my cake you know yeah. well and that's what i mean and that and that's you know unfortunately you know the internet is just full of bile and disgusting things for the most part and that's why i say i did that oh well maybe blah 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 because i i'll be honest, i know people like that who'll be like who are, who are who are like well you know it's it's not that simple and you know what are you, what are you gonna do you know of course those kids because their parents are this and that and it's like oh maybe their parents first of all the odds are their parents aren't this and that however if they are there are a lot of reasons why and that's where i've talked to you about and going back to our childhood and me growing up uh, literally across the street from you in that in that in public housing uh it wasn't it was called ontario housing then when toronto public housing now or whatever and but i was a i was a i'm a white guy i am i was never not once and not to make this about me but this is more me acknowledging again and i have no problem with this and i know this bothers the hell out of certain people i have no problem acknowledging my privilege i was never not given something because of the way i look I was never not given something because the way my name looks. I was never denied anything based on that. And if I, I have to acknowledge that because there are people, yourself included, you, were, you have been denied things because of the way you look. Yeah. And, and, and there were kids on my, on my black kids on my, on my floor, on, my, on the 10th floor of Bolpe, who ended up in jail quite literally. And, they, and odds are that I was given opportunities that they weren't because I was white. And I, I, I think if we all could just take a second, take a step back and, 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 and acknowledge that, you know what, not all, not all of our experiences are equal. So may, you know, listen to the stories, you know, because I think it's the individual stories where we can hopefully get some understanding. The bigger picture sometimes is harder to, to wrap your head around, but it's the individual stories that, are, that I think are important. You mentioned something to me and I, I want to, I, I don't want to take up too much more of your time, but I wanted to, uh, Bring a, a little, a little more light—not lighthearted, but an interesting. Um, uh, we touched on being a, you know, thirty-two and starting your uh, your BA, but you also talked about hanging out with these these kids and doing school and how they're so quick to want to cancel. Like there's just like there's the, there's this there's this thing going on right now. There's no listening going on. You were saying, and and wow. and you're finding yourself in in there. Uh, I, I going guys just chill out a little bit some if somebody made a mistake you you mentioned that the, you mentioned that to me the other day when we had lunch and I, I thought it would be interesting to just to kind of touch on that what's the culture like in school now it's everything that I find everything you see on twitter in regards to the whole doxing and canceling yes. it happens in classrooms really classrooms. I, that's that's my that's how my experience. That's your interpretation. Cause, yeah, because yeah, I see a lot of people just sort of saying, no, that's not how it is, or people getting called out because they didn't agree. Like, that's for me, that's just life. You're not going to agree with everybody. Yeah. Everyone's going to always come at you. It's just a matter of your ability to adjust, to absorb, because okay, everyone's going to throw crap at you sure. your entire life. Like, yeah. like me, if people throw crap at me. Like, the one thing I always say, like, if I'm thankful that. Twitter and that wasn't around when I was in my 20s or 30s because I couldn't even one thing I wouldn't even know I know I'd, I'd do pretty I would have done pretty dumb things as well you we know yeah yeah sure. we all would have done stupid things and done stupid things and of course you want like and then I hate being like the whole like my thing is where I'm saying but I'm always the, I'm older than a lot of these students and I'm like I don't want to become like this the mom like you know 
when you get older, you're going to regret what you're doing right now. But it's so true because there's things that I've done in my 20s that, that I know that I, can, I would totally re regret. But I, if it ever came out, I'd be like, I totally own up to it. I'd be like, yeah, damn right. I did it. I was in my 20s. I did it, but we didn't have did digital it. cameras with us. <laughs> yeah. Or we didn't have social media to post it all on. Or yeah. something like, like, I did it all, but I did it all in the privacy, not in the privacy, it was just it was in the circles of who I hung out with. Yeah, yeah. And, the, but there wasn't, there wasn't that accessibility to people to see into your life. Right. So, yeah. so clearly, right. So that's what social media does. It sort of enters people into your private life. And if you're going to put your stuff out there in private life and, and you're going to, people have, if you're going to put it out there, people are going to have the right to comment on it yeah. and then if you're not ready to take those criticisms or comments then maybe you shouldn't be on social media no kidding right right um, and that's what i say. like i'm on social media and i say stuff and people don't agree with what i say and i'm like no one's not going to agree with that everyone's not going to agree with everything no. that i say but these are my truths yes these are my lived experience these are my words of my how i see the world and how i've been treated in the world yeah and if people, if people don't like to hear what how i've been treated then Stop uh -huh. following me. Yeah, exactly. Don't Which... read my tweets. <laughs> you don't read them. They don't exist. Yeah. <laughs> well, and that's it. You know, it's, uh, um, and, and, and underneath all of that with yours, yours aren't frivolous. Your, your tweets aren't frivolous. I mean, we all have funny little tweets here and there, but, but you're, you're using social media for, for, uh, for a purpose that, that most people aren't. And that's, you know, you're advocating, you're educating, and you're, you're taking your own experience and your experience in academia and using that to try to further and help a community. It happens to be your community. And, <laughs> and, uh, and I think it's wonderful. And I, 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 I highly recommend, um, I'll say it right now. I'm going to, well, where is it right now? What's your, what's your Twitter handle? handle? JJ Sylvester. You don't even four? know. <laughs> it is JJ Sylvester 04. Right, yeah, 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 yes. yeah. JJ Sylvester 04. I'll put it up when when I post this. Uh, I'll put it up in the uh, in the bio because uh, I think you're. Uh, it's. Um, I think we should all listen to different voices. And <laughs> what? what are you going to say? <laughs> I was going to say I'm glad that I changed my Twitter handle because prior to starting academia, you know what my Twitter handle was? What? Smart girl for you. <laughs> <laughs> but was girl with a U? Yeah. <laughs> good that really proves you're smart girl for you and with the four right number four yeah and the letter u smart girl for yes you. nice so and i changed oh, it though for the better be more professional um jennifer sylvester jen sylvester jenny as i uh, as i knew you thank you so much for virtually visiting bob's basement which you so astutely <laughs> said you had a basement i didn't have a basement now you don't have a basement now i have a basement um thank you so much i always i uh, love our talks um both uh you know uh, fun, uh you know lighthearted and serious and you always bring such a great perspective and I'm, I'm i feel very i feel very lucky to be able to uh to listen to your perspective and and learn from you oh thank you we gotta stop making sense this has been bob's basements thanks for listening thanks that's the way it is for more information email bob at bobwillette at gmail.com. That's Bob Willette. Like Gillette with a W. Follow Bob on Twitter at Bob Willette. Bob's Basement is available where you find your favorite podcasts. Until next time. Well, that's the way it is.